Hey, BA fam, this episode is sponsored by State Farm. Are you a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers. They're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Happy, happy holidays, Brown Ambition fam. It's Mandra here. As you guys know, Tiff and I are taking a little break before the new year, but we've still got you covered with some of our favorite Brown Ambition moments from 2021. All throughout this month, we're looking back at memorable conversations and breaking down the most important lessons we've learned this year. We can't thank you enough for sticking by us in what has become one of our biggest years for the show ever. So many amazing memories from this year, and I cannot wait to revisit some of them with all of you guys, our beloved BA fam. Wishing you and yours a beautiful holiday season, and thank you again for all the support. fam. It's Mandy. I'm here with a pretty special and unusual show for you guys this week. It almost wasn't any show at all. For those of y'all who listened to our and joined our Instagram live that Tiffany and I did last week, thank you so much. We're sorry we weren't able to post the video for y'all. Apparently something happened with Instagram and Tiffany couldn't save it. Mea culpa. But on the live, we said that we have a bit of a surprise, and it's because of that surprise that we're not able to record a new show last week. So you might have noticed there was no episode. We're very sorry, but it's for a really, really good reason. A reason that I can't quite announce just yet, so we'll wait until next week when Tiffany's back. That being said, we are here. We are here, y'all. Okay, don't worry. We're fine. Since we couldn't record our regular show, though, I wanted to go ahead and share with you guys an amazing conversation that I had last week when we were off with the CEO and co-founder of an organization based in Brooklyn, New York, called Higher Heights for America. This is a nonprofit that actually focuses on getting Black women elected to higher office. So I'm talking about mayoral races, gubernatorial races, and beyond. Kamala Harris, yup. That is someone that Higher Heights has championed and endorsed and helped support. And they are not stopping now. I had Glenda Carr join the show, and I'm thrilled to share that conversation with you guys. Why? Because, yes, I had chills just like the rest of you last week when we watched Kamala get sworn in as the first female Black vice president in our nation's history. I can never get tired of saying that. But that being said, when I started to do my Googles about Black women in politics, Kamala was a rarity. And I don't think even I appreciated how rare her presence was in our nation's capital until I really got down and dirty with the numbers. So let me share some with you, okay? There are zero, zero Black women serving in our U.S. Senate right now, okay? Now, there were a record number of 
Black women in the House of Representatives in 2021. 25, though, y'all. Only 25. Like, that's a record? That is pathetic, okay? Like, I I cannot. 25 out of 435 elected officials in the House are Black women. And that's 25 women, Black women in Congress at a time when, I mean, haven't you guys heard the pundits and the politicians thanking Black women, how we saved the election for Joe and Kamala, you know, how we saved 2020, how we turned out in states like Georgia and gave them the edge that they needed. Thank you, Black women. Thank you, Stacey Abrams. Thank you to our foremothers like Shirley Chisholm, Fannie Lou Hamer, and so many women who came before them and after. But what are we really seeing reflected on Capitol Hill? We are not seeing ourselves. And I think that's a problem. I'm not saying that we have to get out there and run for governor like Stacey Abrams or run for mayor like Keisha Lance Bottoms. But what I hope is that my conversation with Glenda encourages all of us to not just stop with casting our vote in the 2020 election, but to stay engaged at the local level. And maybe you're not someone who wants to run for an office, whether it's the town council or the school board or whatever. (laughs) Maybe you're not someone who has aspirations of getting into politics, but before you give up on yourself or before you think that it's not for you, listen to my conversation with Glenda and feel empowered. Our voices matter. Our voices can bring about the change that we need to see in this country. And 2020 was just the beginning. I am so excited for you guys to hear my conversation with Glinda. Please hit me up on Instagram. We're at Brown Ambition Podcast on the gram. You can also send us an email at brownambitionpodcast at gmail.com. Send us your thoughts, your questions. We can't wait to be back with you guys next week with a brand new show. In the meantime, enjoy this conversation with Glinda. And you can check her out at higherheightsforamerica.org. All right, Glenda, well, thank you very much for coming to Brown Ambition. It's really an honor to have you here, especially during a year when it seems like Brown Ambition really became a little bit less about money and career and a lot more about what is it like out there for Black women in this world today? And how can we get more political, I don't know, political power? How can we feel more empowered Other than, you know, the news headlines will have you believe that, you know, black women really came out for this election and previous elections and saved, you know, the progressive candidates and and got them elected. But you often personally for me, you don't always feel like you're seeing the representation on Capitol Hill or even the state capitals that 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 matches that, you know, appreciation for black women and our power politically. So I'm so excited to have you on the show because what I want to talk to you about is, you know, first and foremost, what is Higher Heights? Why did you guys found this organization? And and where do you see the future for for black women in politics? Is it an exciting time? Is it a time where, you know, we're sort of, you know, accepting that there's still a long way to go? How, How are you feeling these days? And especially for our listeners, we'd love to to hear from you tips on how people can get involved in their local politics, state politics and beyond, uh, you know, in a, in a way that helps them contribute more than just a vote. Yeah. So, you know, black women have been the architects of our democracy since the 19th Amendment and frankly earlier. But the 19th Amendment, we're in the 101 anniversary of that that amendment and that movement. And so black women certainly, you know, sat among the suffragists 
of that movement, knowing that they weren't going to reap the benefits Mm -hmm. of the work of that decision making table. And that's been the work of black women across many of the milestones across our movement building history. You know, black women were clearly the architects and quiet organizers during the civil rights movement. You had a Fannie Lou Hamer, who frankly was an everyday woman, a sharecropper who sat in the back of a church and got fired up and went from, you know, being motivated to registering to vote to registering over 80,000 residents in Mississippi and went on and sat at the Democratic National Convention, carrying the voices of African-Americans demanding seats at that convention, which led to just more political power. And so we fast forward to 2020 and a once again, a chorus of thank you, Black women, for saving the country. Now, be frank, we're not saving the country for, for, for our neighbors. Black women recognize that, you know, the access to the voting block and exercising the right to vote helps to build the power. What we we demanded in 2020, though, was that we want a a return on our voting investment. And that's in the form of policies that directly impact Black women, our families, and our communities. And we certainly are continuing to claim seats at decision-making tables. Our political power at the voting booth actually doesn't match, equally match, our representation at at, at elected decision-making tables. Yeah, I mean, what does it mean to you? I think I think with the Capitol riot, you know, how is how long has it been now? It feels like months, but it was only a week and a half ago that there was an insurrection against the US Capitol, which is still shocking to say. And I and part of me is a little bit sad because I mean, well, first of all, sad for so many reasons, but also it feels like it's sort of taking away from this moment of history of having the first black uh, mm-hmm. female vice president, woman of South Asian descent, all of that, Kamala Harris. And I I wonder how you feel and how, you know, Higher Heights is looking at her her candidacy, her nomination, her, her win as vice president. What excites you about that? And do you feel like Kamala is bringing to the table that sense of, listen, I am here, I'm a Black woman, and I'm going to be unapologetic about that and put forth policies that truly help Black women in their communities? Absolutely. So we have been proud to stand with Vice President-elect or soon-to-be Madam VP um, Kamala Harris since her her run for U.S. Senate in 2016. So we've only had two Black women ever elected to the U.S. Senate, right? And so there's a lot of um, work to continue to ensure that we have representation at all decision-making tables. Um, but we certainly were excited that she you know, joined the U.S. Senate at a point where she brought not only her you know, years of qualifications as an elected official that ran, won, and governed on the city level, ran, won, and governed on the statewide executive level, and then carried her voice to the U.S. Senate. And we proudly stood with her when she ran for um, president of the United States. And her multiple identities as a woman, as a woman of color, as a, a daughter of, an, of two immigrants and a black woman, as well as her identities around attending a historically black college, being a member of a Greek, you know, a black Greek letter organization. You know, we're excited about her standing and presiding over the U.S. Senate at a time where, you know, her vice presidency will make her one of the most you know, consequential, you know, leaders in a generation with a 50-50 split Congress. And so although we are, you know, very concerned that there is no representation in the body of the U.S. Senate, we have literally a U.S. senator standing and presiding over the Senate. 
And so certainly many of the pieces of legislation that she has introduced and authored and championed, you know, you know, it's something about a full circle moment that there may be times where she's the deciding vote um, to be able to move that legislation from her, you know, standing with Senator um, Cory Booker, very clear about a discussion around racial disparities around COVID-19, the discussion around anti, the, the trying to roll back old law around anti-lynching to her talking about black women in fibroids uh, and innovations around black women in um, infant mortality and prenatal care. Um, those identities allow her to, in the spirit of Maya Angelou's poem, um, Grandmothers, there's a stands a line that says, I come as one, but I stand as 10,000. And that is certainly, you know, what we're excited about seeing you know, our new vice president do to bring all of the lived experiences she has, as well as her qualifications at a time that we are at a, the height of racial tensions during my generation and a discussion around how do we move beyond COVID, recover, survive, recover, and thrive beyond COVID-19, particularly when com the, the very communities that her ex she comes from have been disproportionately impacted back that. So we are definitely excited about this opportunity, but recognizing that our work has not finished and we need to accelerate the work around Black women's elected leadership um, beyond 2020. Now, Higher Heights has been around for, what, nearly a decade now? Is that right? Yeah, I know. We were just uh, planning that. We're like, it's been a decade. Wow. <laughs> well, congratulations. Listen, <laughs> we, we love entrepreneurs here and especially in, in the space that you guys are in. So thank you so much for, for that. And congrats. Take a moment to, you know, accept the shine and all the, the work <laughs> that you've accomplished. Do you feel more of a sense of urgency now than you did when you founded Higher Heights? I mean, this is, like you said, this is a, I mean, all that there's so many things going on. It's too much. There's the <laughs> the race. I mean, you say tension, but it is, it feels like a, a, a civil war is bubbling under the surface. I mean, and there's an economic crisis. And of course, Black Americans, it feels like financially and health-wise have been um, disproportionately impacted by this pandemic. What does that feel like to you? Do you feel like there's more of a sense of urgency around getting more power, uh, getting more influence in politics? And and why? What, what what sort of are the 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 platforms or the issues that are most important to higher heights now? Yeah, uh, absolutely. Um, so you know, Kimberly Peeler Allen, um, the other co-founder, and I, two black women who happen to work in politics, but every day. Black women sat in a Brooklyn cafe literally 10 years this February. And we actually, Kimberly came to coffee because I was trying to figure out my next career move. And within that, you know, my I had grown some frustration around particularly progressive politics, which is what we worked in at the time, and being in rooms that were dominantly white, dominantly, you know, male, and, you know, being looked at as like a unicorn, like like black, black politically engaged women, you know, um, women who, you know, write checks and volunteer and are vocal that we're, we're, we're this like black unicorn. And so out of event, because, you know, you uh, sometimes we all will have event conversation with a girlfriend. We literally we should start our own organization. And we, we sat and kind of just chatted about what it looked like. We wrote the words higher heights down that day and spent a year and a half researching, like, what would this look like? And we we wanted to see an organization we could see ourselves in. And so you accelerate the work. You know, we have, you know, we're in a moment, one of our 
foundation principles is we want to create the environment for black women to vote, run, win, and lead. And I certainly think that is some of the successes of, of Higher Heights, that we're in a moment where, you know, everyone is talking about black women's political power and leadership and celebrating our leadership. But we also recognize there's a lot of work to be done by the numbers, right? And so in the 117th Congress, we have 24 black women serving. And so over the last couple of elections, sorry, 24 black women and two non-voting delegates. So in total, 25, 26 black women serving in the House of Representatives. And that's been a steady gain over the last 10 years. We've seen a record number of black women run and win each year. But we've never elected a black woman to governor, or as I would say, we've never had a black woman serve because for me, Stacey Abrams did win that 2018 <laughs> election cycle. Is, but, my heart twinges every time. Yes, yeah, Stacey Abrams, we cannot have this conversation without mentioning her. Yeah. Yep. And, you know, out of the 2,162 women who serve in state legislatures across the country, only 317 of them as the end of the year are black women. And we've seen a steady gain of black women running and winning as mayors of top 100 cities, but we currently have six. And so when you look at those, and, and I've already said there's zero black women in the U.S. Senate. And so there's still work to be done. And it's not that black women aren't running. Yes, we need more black women to run, frankly, from the local office. May it be school board to city council to some of your state legislatures or county. Black women are running. Be clear, there's still barriers. Access to um, navigating the political process and party early party and institutional support, raising money. And you know, still a discussion around what does electability look like? Like, you don't hear anyone using the word electability to white men, right? It, it is reserved for women and particularly women of color. And so we know that a Kamala Harris or a New York State Attorney General Tish James, they're actually the roadmaps. Not because you go, oh, I want to be AG now or I, I want to be the vice president, is the fact that they ran for local office. Letitia James you know, was a New York City council member and, ha and she, her career trajectory was to run for a higher office. Oftentimes it could be you are going to make, you are going to have your maximum um, impact, like I said, on your town council. And so our work is to, you know, um, help identify, help to inspire, train and support black women. Our political action committee currently supports women running for federal office, statewide executive office, and mayors of top 100 cities. But our network of Black women across this country are elected or thinking about running for office at all levels. And frankly, many of our members are just like my best friend. They just want to be more civically engaged and, and grow into stretch in their political leadership. And that may be advocating on behalf of issues they care about to their elected leaders, continue to help recruit, um, sorry, continue to help organize our our community to the polls. Um, and so we all should consider ourselves political leaders and then finding out what is the highest use of your time, talents and treasures to help move this democracy in this country to higher heights. Hey, BA fam, this episode is sponsored by State Farm. 
Are you a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers. They're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Hey, 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 BA fam. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors. That's incredible. This is according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 150 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Okay, it's smart. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Brown Ambition. Just go to Indeed.com slash Brown Ambition right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Brown Ambition. Terms and conditions apply. You need to hire. You need Indeed. I think what I know, sadly, about local politics is like Parks and Recreation. That was a really good show with Amy Poehler. Mm-hmm. And, but honestly, ever since I told you I, a little bit when we were talking about the show, my background, I, I bought a house a few like a few years ago and we live in a town and, and we've gotten to know our town councilmen and elected officials and they are so accessible and they've they're right here. And it's kind of fun. My husband and I have gotten like we like to just email them and tell them about things that are going on. But let's talk about town council because that to me is something that's really accessible for a lot of people looking for an entryway, a pathway into political leadership in their communities. But what kind of power is there in the town council to to drive change that can really impact black communities? And what's at stake if we don't start having more diverse leadership at that level? If you can talk a little bit about that. Yeah, I mean, our diverse decision making tables make better decisions. And so we are seeking to ensure that black women's voices are heard at all levels. And as you know, frankly, local elected office has a more direct and immediate impact on your day-to-day lives. I use an example, like my, I have a, earlier in my career, I had a lot of friends that say, you know, I don't do politics. And I certainly believe we have a bunch of our, our networks that still say, I don't do politics. And I give an example that you know, almost everything is tied to a public policy or a public dollar. And I usually use an example that in most places in the United States, we all have streetlights. And so certainly when that streetlight goes out, um, there's a discussion around who do you, you know, how do we advocate to make sure we have streetlights, uh, making sure that streetlight is on. Uh, and that is also tied to most likely a public policy 
or a public dollar. And those public dollars and public policies are tied to an elected official that you voted for or not voted for. And so the work of, you know, strengthening our, you know, our government is beyond the voting booth, right? Democracy doesn't begin and end on election day, it actually begins. And so we need to all be active citizens in not only holding our elected officials accountable, but frankly, creating the environment for our champions to push innovation in public policy and and, um, public budget processes. So what does that look like, you know, for someone who's listening at home and sees something in their town that they don't like or wants to take action? Do you just, I mean, literally, how do you get involved in the town council? Like, do you just go to, what is it, town hall and say, hi, I would like to get on the ballot or, you know, I, just break it down? Because I, I this is just a level of, of detail that it's that access to knowledge of how things happen that, you know, I'm certainly lacking. And I think a lot of other folks will be, too. Yeah, so if you're, you know, someone who's not thinking about running for office but just want to be more actively engaged, it is attending town halls and town council meetings or whatever city council meet whatever level. It is lobbying your elected officials and so that is, you know, I'm still I, I spent 6 years working for the New York State Legislature as a chief of staff and, you know, you know my, the member I used to work for we we would say the squeaky wheel gets the oil, right? And oftentimes people in our you know, people believe that the squeaky oil is wealthy people and people that are connected. Yes, they do have access, but frankly, votes matter to elected leaders. So when you are now looking about an issue and you're getting hundreds or thousands of, of letters or emails or tweets on an issue, it makes your elected official pay attention and you're opening up a dialogue. You ought to be, well, one, we ought to know who our elected officials are. So that we can, um, you know, pay attention not only during voting time but during um, during governing times. And frankly, you, if you are passionate about an issue, it is connecting with elected officials. Again, when I used to work for the state legislature, there are several pieces of less legislation that the senator I worked for introduced because he had a conversation with a constituent who either had something that they were inspired by or something they were upset about. And so as a regular everyday, you know, citizen not running for office or governing, you can impact and and uh, you know, help author and move policy. And then finally if you're thinking about running for office, you know, there are a ton of training programs. Higher Heights just hosted our first boot camp of the year, a half day training, but our partners like Emerge and Emily's List, um, the Black Campaign School from the Collective Pack, they all have, you know, nowadays all have online programming. And what's great about that, we've always done online training, is that one of the one of the obstacles that the research from the Center for American Women in Politics have pointed out is that women aren't encouraged to run for office, but women of color and particularly black women oftentimes are discouraged from running for office. So sometimes doing physical trainings or, or starting to talk about your um, thinking about running for office, that you don't want those, those people who will be the naysayers before you even have thought this through. Um, and so frankly, being able to, you know, spend a you know, little quiet time in a corner of your home with your, you know, watching a webinar to really determine if running for office is again, the best use of your, you know, time, tr- talents and treasures. And so I would always encourage people, if you're thinking about running for office to take any of the amazing trainings, most of them are free. And I would also encourage as, you know, we are in an environment where everybody's like, oh, I wanna run for office. 
not every one of us need to run for office. And so it's determining what is, you know, what, what, how do you want to make an impact in your community? And that may be, like I said, strengthening your leadership roles outside of government, you know, considering running for office or frankly, being the person that recruits and um, recruits and encourages those to run for office. Absolutely. I think one of the, I mean, obviously it's in the name of our podcast, but ambition, it's, it's crazy to me, but so common true ambition sometimes starts in quiet places where you're safe and you don't want to say it out loud because you're afraid. You know, it takes courage, I think, to stand up and say that I want something. You know, I I am ambitious enough to reach for a higher height. And you're right. There are people who will be those naysayers and or or because they've never seen it before, they want to protect you, don't want you to get hurt, you know, may dissuade you from that. So the work of the work of your organization is 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 wonderful in that way because you guys, it's and, and kind of describe how Higher Heights works. Because I, I know that you guys have a political action. Um, sorry, what's a PAC? What does it stand for? Political mm-hmm. action. A political committee? action committee. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Mm-hmm. I watch MSNBC. So, yes, you guys, <laughs> you you raise funds so that you can back candidates. What do you guys look like? Well, look at in candidates that you're looking to back, and do you have to go looking pretty far and wide to to find women of color out there to 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 push into you know higher office? No, um, so yeah, we have a political action committee. Our committee is made up of board members and um, some community community members. And so we solely unapologetically support um, women that identify as black women <laughs> um, who are running at the you know federal level, statewide executive and top. Um, mayors of top 100 cities. And we, as you mentioned, yes, we do financially support candidates. We also encourage our members and our networks to um, support and fundraise for our candidates. And we then activate our community, our growing community to volunteer. Um, And so in COVID-19, there are a couple of things I think that have come out that have allowed us to, like many organizations and programs to expand is is the notion of being able to be anywhere across the country and being inspired by um, someone running for office and being able to volunteer by making phone calls or texting neighbor, texting voters in that district. And frankly, hosting virtual fundraisers that you could literally sit in your house and you're across the country. And so we help to, you know, connect our, our, our members to volunteer opportunities. We host volunteer opportunities. The cycle we, you know, called across, you know, our, you know, 16 black women that were on the general ballot, you know, shy of a, you know, thousand calls and texts. Um, and for them, it is that is how you win elections, right? You build you build an infrastructure that helps you talk to and get your message out to voters. But you know, each year, you know, we've yes, we do reach out and go, hey, Jane, you should consider running for office. But certainly, you know, there's a growing interest, and we we're in daily dialogue with women running for office, and frankly, running for office that our political action committee may not support, but all of our resource tools and our training support women running for office. I recently got a, like a, a, a tweet or a DM from someone that said, you helped me win my election to town council. And, you know, my, my original action is like, well, we didn't support you. And she's like, you sure did. You created a space for me. I was quiet. You know, I was on, I was, you know, engaged. And she felt that, you know, for us, we're the political home that she had found a home that broadly supported her, um, 
her candidacy and, you know, you know, had access to the tools that not only were tactical tools, but also just the ability, like you said, the naysayer being the place like you can do this, um, that support mechanism. And, you know, that's one of the things that, you know, Kimberly and I are, are, are very proud at. Kamala Harris once said to us in 2018, and she's, you know, been a great, you know, governing partner and, and, and partner in this work is that, did you know, and again, it's been 10 years. We felt like it was the longest 10 years. There were years where, you know, people didn't think they got the vision of the organization. Those same people are like, you know, all in now is Kamala said, did you know you were going to build an organization for a time as this? She was like, it may have not hit the benchmarks that you thought they were going to meet when, the, when, when you thought they were supposed to be met, but you actually had a container to be able to harness um, this power since, two, frankly, since 2016. Right. I mean, it feels like part of you wants to, I'll speak for myself. Part of me is a little jaded in the sense that, oh, you thought, okay, so now black women are all that and everyone wants to lean into us and pour into us. And, you know, I, I was laughing with Tiffany because we we haven't gotten more podcast networks reaching out to us to partner with us until this <laughs> summer. And I'm like, oh yeah, because you looked at your lineup and you realized there was something missing. And we are, we've been here for five years doing it and independently. And it's, it's like you said, you know, you, 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 put the work in and you're ready for the moment. And I guess part of me had to quickly put aside that little bit of cynicism, like, where were you five years ago? Okay, you're here now. All right, I'll take advantage of this guilt. <laughs> That's fine. Oh, no. So um, you're, you're part of my, you know, I go through my 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 moments of pettiness. <laughs> it's right. like, oh, now you're here. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, you want to meet? Oh, mm-hmm. you're taking my phone call. <laughs> and they'll straight um, up say it. Yeah, so we're looking to diversify. I'm like, just, you know, if you own it, it's, you know, I own it. You know what I mean? Like, just let it be known. Don't, don't pretend like we've, you know, it, all of a sudden you notice that we're here and that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. I had said, I was playing off of, I was like, black women are like the show orange is the new black, right? Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. black women are the new black. Right. And mm-hmm. so certainly we're leaning into the moment one for our, our allies who have recognized that black women, you know, black women govern and lead, I just think in a way that's inclusive, you know, we have a, a, a great supporter, a white woman who, when we were talking about branding ourselves as a political home for black women, and she was like, I still see myself in that, right? And I was like, well, in that we didn't actually set out to go, let's make sure that everybody can see themselves in the organization. And, but because people feel that there's a space for them, I was like, that is just how black women navigate, right? It's how our grandmothers navigated. I mean, there were certainly always a seat at my grandmother and mother's dinner table, right? That if we brought somebody home, there was always enough food and enough space. And I think that's how Black women lead, right? Is that we don't have a defined, you know, there's only a set amount of chairs. And that, and that, that we, you know, that it's closed, that that is actually, I think because we were locked out of those tables and those chairs, we are ensuring that we're unifiers and that there's space. And I'll, I'll even give you an example of how I now read Shirley Chisholm's quote about if there's not a seat at the table, bring your folding chair. And so there is some debate about, well, I shouldn't have to scoop myself up to the table because of folding chair. I was like, well, how if we envision what she was saying is that if you envision that the table is big enough, there's enough seat. You can, you can bring enough seats at that table. If we continue to believe that the seat, the table is already set and that we have to fight and push people, like be clear, there's some people who are pushing out of chairs, 
Like I am, you know, I'm not apologetic. Like, sorry, this is still political science and 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 politics. Is that you know we are definitely tapping on uh, several people's chairs. Going, it's time for you to go. But if we're really gonna like move past this, like this this toxic moment, we have to be able to say that Black women are building different tables, um, in the in how those tables are set up. Right. It's not even about bringing your own chair. It can be just, okay, well, you'll have your table. We're just going to make our own table and put it in the same room nearby adjacent. Yeah, I love that. And can you, you know, and just to kind of round out this conversation, I feel and I felt like many people, I imagine, so adrenalized by this year and so devoted to keeping the momentum going. And I'm wondering from your perspective, what does that look like? Because I, I would hate for the progress that we've seen. You know, people in my family in Atlanta got registered for the first first time, you know, voted in their mm. first Senate runoff campaign ever, you know, this past January. It's, we're still in January. Never mind. This year. <laughs> and and I, I, I you know, I, I wonder how do we how do we maintain an, this attention? How do we keep people fired up? You know, we had to really I, I get it when it's it felt like life or death this election cycle, you know, we really had to get out there. But yeah, how do you how do you harness that momentum? And what can people be doing now, even though the general election's over? And we're, we're in a bit of a I don't know, I hate to say a place where we can be safe, because we just had a ride on the Capitol. But we're, we're past a big hurdle in terms of the general election. How do we how do we keep that momentum going? I certainly believe that there's a lot of work to be done. One, you know, at the end of the year, we sat and talked about what does next steps look like for, say, higher heights. And so we are definitely taking the lessons learned from the first 10 years. And it's about, you know, Kimberly and I started this whole hashtag Black Women Lead the Road to 2020, like in 2016, that we knew that 20. 20- 20 was a pivotal year for black women's political leadership. It is now beyond, it is now about the strategy beyond 2020. And certainly we are deep diving and accelerating our work around electing black women to the U.S. Senate, electing black women governors within us, not one. And certainly, you know, ensuring that, you know, our candidates are supported um, early by the broader masses. You know, oftentimes people jump on very late and go like, I've been with Kamala from day one. I've been with Stacey Abrams from day one. And that actually isn't, if you, if I, if I get to write the history, that is certainly not the case in the history books. And so what, how do we then identify the next, you know, the next generation of leaders? And that, that frankly, you know, starts with a multi-generational approach. And then, um, you know, we don't elect black women for black women's sake. <laughs> we believe that our leadership is is um, a leadership that will build a policy platform that creates what I believe black women, what our research has pointed to, our polling and our informal salon conversations. Black women want economically thriving, educated, healthy and safe communities. So if you're looking at what do we do beyond beyond the voting booth, it is ensuring that we're creating that environment, as I mentioned earlier, for our champions to push real innovation um, into our public policy making and to frankly hold elected officials accountable. We can't just continue to elect elect amazing leaders who don't have the political support, like the political support, right? It's all about political demand and political will. And that's the work of the people is to build the political will by using our flexing our political demand so that we can push policies that center our communities, our families, our communities, and our nation. Well, Glenda Carr, thank you so, so much for joining Brown Ambition. 
This is a conversation I've been looking forward to for weeks, and I'm so honored that you took some time to spend with us. No problem. Thanks for having me. Where can folks find out more about Higher Heights and get involved? Yep. So we need Black women and our allies to grow this movement building moment. And so as we celebrate, you know, continue to celebrate the swearing in of Kamala Harris, I mean, we even though the inauguration completely different than what we thought it was going to be <laughs> to be from both a health perspective and a safety perspective, we are centering joy. So we are, we have been celebrating and have hosted a variety of virtual events celebrating this moment, but we're still going to build. So go to higherheightsforamerica.org. It takes a click to become an activist member that will plug you into all the programming and um, frankly, information and data uh, and then, you know, we'll work you up the leadership ladder to a variety of things. So you might be sitting here going, I'm just going to be a member. And the next thing you know, in a year, you're running for office with higher heights. <laughs> next thing you know, you show up at a virtual brunch and uh, you're putting yourself on a ballot. Got it. <laughs> <laughs> well, Glenda, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Can't thank you enough. And for all the work you've done, congratulations on nearly a decade of higher heights. It's wonderful. Great. And we look forward to being in contact and um, in conversation about what we have planned for the next 10 years. Do you get the whole Wizard of Oz thing a lot? Uh, yeah, uh, uh, yeah, and I work it. So Wizard of Oz, my... Bro- middle brother is a Wizard of Oz fanatic. He's probably seen it over a hundred times. Huh. And so oftentimes I actually, and then I also um, have all types of things I bring into my speeches around. I used to wear red shoes all the time. So this whole thing around red shoes and it's a big deal. Like there's a, a Glenda, Glenda the Good Witch. So, it, so two things, my name is G-L-Y NDAs um, said the same way. But uh, Glenda the Good Witch is G-L-I-N-D-A. Um, and if you're, wi- um, if you're an Oz fan, I mean, um, is it Oz? No, Wicked. If you're a Wicked fan, it's Glenda. Um, but we usually bring uh, the Wizard of Oz into some of our conversations because Glenda the Good Witch once said to Dorothy, um, when asked why she couldn't make it home, she's like, you know, hey, dear, you've always had the power. You just needed to know that you had it. Um, and that's certainly, you know, the work of Higher Heights is you know, providing a space for Black women to step into their leadership, expand their leadership, and frankly, recognize the power that we have in our democracy. I love that. I'm going to keep that as a little bonus for the end of the episode. The story (laughs) behind Glenda. The Bigger Pockets portfolio of podcasts are worthy of your investment. We're having a real conversation as real real estate investors. New episodes available every day. It's important to buy where it makes money and not necessarily where you want to travel to. Bigger Pockets on the market, rookie real estate or money podcast. The purpose of flipping is to create more cash so then you can reinvest into other types of properties. The Bigger Pockets podcast on YouTube or wherever you listen.